Welcome to the Magic Time Podcast, proudly brought to you by Firm Foundation Media. Welcome once again to the Magic Time Podcast. I'm Sean Squires, and pleased to be joined one more time by the head coach of the Moncton Salerno. How are you doing, Joe? Hey, Scott. I'm doing well. How are you? Very good, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming back aboard for another podcast. I know you're probably uh, in the midst of preparations to head up to Halifax tomorrow. So speaking of that, before we talk about the Cape Breton game, uh, how are things going in terms of uh, your preparations for Halifax tomorrow, just in terms of travel, when do you guys leave, all that good stuff? Uh, things are going well. We're going to leave tomorrow um probably a little earlier than we normally would. We're just kind of, you know, expecting some, some possible weather. So we'll probably leave at about 1 o'clock uh, tomorrow just to give ourselves plenty of time to uh, to get down there. You know, we normally like to arrive uh, to an arena about two hours before tip-off. So, um, yeah, all's, uh, all's good, and we're looking forward to, uh, to heading down tomorrow. So we'll take a look back at your most recent game uh, just a few days ago this past weekend. You took on a team that uh, you've handled pretty well overall in the regular season, uh, the Cape Breton Highlanders. Uh, you came out on top, 96-86. Just quickly, uh, your takeaways from that game uh, on home court last weekend. Um, I mean, I, I thought it was a, a decent win for us. Um, I don't think it was one of our, our best performances of the season. You know, I, I thought we really kind of played played in spurts. You know, we kind of played up and down, played pretty well for – you know, five, six minute stretch. And then we seem to, to, to lose our edge a little bit, um, you know, but, but that, that really can't take anything away from, from Cape Breton. You know, they, they played extremely hard and they have, they have a lot of talented players on that team. You know, I, I think it's, it's unfortunate the season they've had because um, they, they've been in an awful lot of ball games, you know? So, uh, but, but Hey, I think any time in this league that you can get a, a, a double digit win, um, you know, whether it's pretty or, or whether some may consider it ugly, uh, I'll take it. I'll take it any day of the week and twice on Sunday. So, uh, you know, it was a game that we, we certainly wanted to get, um, you know, on our home court as, as we head down the final stretch here. Well, you know, you're absolutely right, Cape Breton. Like all the teams really in the National Basketball League of Canada, on any given day, one team can beat the other. And this Cape Breton team was coming off of a big win up in London over the London Lightning in overtime knowing that Cape Breton was going to be on that bit of a high and that they were feeling good about that. What was the message to your guys prior to that game? Cause you knew that Cape Breton was going to come out and give you guys a good run, especially in the first few minutes. Yeah, we, we talked about that. I mean, I know a lot of us, um, we kind of caught the end of, of that Cape Breton London game actually on the bus ride home from, uh, from our game in Halifax. So, uh, you know, it was certainly an emotional win. It was a great win for, for them in London. And, and I think that's, that's kind of where I'm going with, you know, any, any win is, is a good win where, you know, you're, you're talking about a team that, that just beat London basically with eight guys in overtime in their building. You know, it's London hasn't lost in that building too many times over the last, you know, five, six years. So, uh, Cape Breton's a, a good team. And, and we had discussed that. Um, we, we just knew that, you know, the final couple home games of our regular season were games that, that we absolutely needed to get. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think we were, we were, we were fairly locked in for the most part. And I think Cape Breton made a couple runs as, as they should, you know, with, with guys like Malik story and, and, um, 
and Bruce Massey and players like that. So, you know, overall, like I said, it was a, it was a successful evening because we came away, came away with a, with a win. And, and that's certainly what we, we needed to do. We'll move on from this game in just a second, but one thing when I look at it and, and having called the game with my broadcast partner, Dave Tingley, overall, a solid game for you guys in terms of performances from your starters and your bench each quarter, you guys are pretty consistent up around the mid to high 20s in terms of points, except the second quarter. Cape Breton, you've talked about it, a run that they made. It really was in that second quarter where they outscored you guys 27-17, and the magic seemed to not be in sync in the second quarter. That can happen in the course of a game, in the course of a season. But looking back at that game, was there something about that second quarter that either you guys weren't doing or that Cape Breton was doing that caused kind of that bit of a quirk in that game? I, I don't I don't know if you can really pinpoint a, a single thing. It's obviously a combination of, of things. Um, you know, I, I will say this. We, we jumped out to a lead again, you know, on that team. So I think, you know, us kind of feeling comfortable, you know, there for a few minutes when we, we jumped out to a, I don't know what it was, 20, 24 to eight or, or whatever the, the lead was. Uh, I think that probably attributed to that a little bit. I think, you know, we probably missed some, some open shots or, or, you know, took a couple of bad shots. Kate Brenton knocked down a few shots. I mean, it's always a combination of, of things. It's never just kind of one thing that happened where, where a team went on a run. Um, but you know, like I said, we, we, we bounced back. I agree with you that for a big stretch in that second quarter, you know, we did not look like, you know, we were in sync. I don't think it looked like we were, we were playing hard, uh, on the defensive end. Um, so I think we just kind of fell into a little bit of a low and, and that was definitely a message at halftime that, you know, Hey, th- this can't happen. You know, th- this, this absolutely cannot happen come the postseason. Um, so, you know, I was glad to see we, we kind of snapped out of that uh, in the second half. And last thing on this particular game, of course, everyone needs to roll the boat the same way. It's got to be a team win. But there was one moment where Corey Almond uh, hit a very deep three. He, he was back very close to the logo, and he put up a shot kind of as he was falling away. And at that moment, that was a very big shot for you guys. What does it mean when you can have a guy like Corey? I mean, he was only two of nine from outside the arc in that game, but that one shot was a huge one, and it really kind of seemed to re-spark you guys and get you going again. But how important is it for a guy like a Corey Almond, if he's not having his night, to be able to still just have that moment where he can hit that one shot? What is it? No, it's, it's, it's really important. And, and I know, you know, obviously the shot you're talking about, I think it really kind of sealed the, the win for us. Um you know, it was very late in that fourth quarter. And Corey did struggle, you know, shooting the ball that evening. I think it's great that, you know, he still had the confidence to take that shot. Uh, as soon as he caught the ball, before he even went into a shooting motion, you know, I knew a shot was coming. And, and honestly, I I knew he was going to knock it down. It was just a, a rhythm catch and shoot for, for Corey. So I just think it's good he still had the confidence to take that shot. Obviously, the guys on our team always have confidence in, in Corey and Jason, for that matter. Um, you know, they kind of have the ultimate green light, you know, when it comes to, to taking shots from three. So uh, it was it was a big shot, you know, and you have to hit big shots in, in you know, big moments to <clears throat> to win in this league. So, uh, you know, it was it was it was great. It was great that Corey stepped up and, and knocked that down with confidence. Now, we referenced uh, the game that you've got coming up on the road at Scotiabank Center tomorrow night in Halifax. 
against the Halifax Hurricanes. Obviously, all the teams in the league are rivals, but maybe none bigger for you guys than the Halifax Hurricanes geographically, but also because of how good a team that Halifax seems to have year in, year out. You had their number early in the season, Coach. You won the first couple of games, a big one in overtime uh, the first time you guys met. But the last couple of games, Halifax has kind of turned the tables on you. What are a couple of things that you've been working on with the guys this week to kind of get back into the Moncton magic rhythm and to even it up at three wins apiece on the season? Because right now, Halifax has won the last three in their league season series 3-2. Yeah, yeah, they really have had our number uh, lately. You know, I, I think Halifax has, has had a lot of teams' number lately, you know, but, uh, you know, dropping our last three to them, and, and I know one of those was an overtime game, you know, but the other two were, I think, a nine-point and, and a 15-point loss. And, you know, that hasn't happened to us an awful lot this season, you know, losing by double digits. And um, so we obviously have, have taken the last few days, really since the Cape Breton game, and, and really try to change some things, you know, really kind of change uh, some things that we're specifically doing, you know, offensively um, because they've, they've really kind of, kind of locked us up. You know, they've, they've held us below 90 points, I think three times this season. Um, and that's, that's fairly rare as well. So obviously what they're doing is, has been working against what we've been trying to do offensively. So we, we've spent some time and we, we've really tried to make a few adjustments and, um, you know, we really have to try to play a, a little bit of a different style, I think, uh, offensively, you know, this time around, because obviously what we've been doing, you know, although working against an awful lot of other teams in this league, doesn't seem to have been working too well against Halifax as of late. So, um, you know, I think we'll, we'll definitely see some changes in the way we kind of approach the game, more specifically on the offensive end uh, tomorrow night than what we have previously. Halifax, not unlike the Moncton Magic in terms of a deep roster, guys that can come off the bench and they don't miss a beat you know you've got any number of guys that can be the guy in a particular quarter a particular moment or in the game overall Halifax much the same how difficult is it to coach against a team like that when it's almost hard to figure out who you're going to key on a particular night when there's so many guys that can play the role of the big game or the big shot or whatever how difficult is it to game plan for that and to coach against that yeah, it's difficult, and that's what makes them a pretty successful team. Uh, listen, you, you, going into every game, you, you have to you have to pick and choose, you know, what you're willing to to really, you know, key on, and what you're willing to to kind of give up, so to speak. And you know, when you have a deep roster, um, you know, it can make things difficult. You know, we saw that what two or three games ago, you know, with Mike Poole, you know, had a had a huge game against us where. We'd actually kind of done a number, did a nice job on Billy White and C.J. Washington that game. Uh, but then, you know, Mike Poole steps up and hurts you. Um, you know, Zimmerman is a guy who can step up. I remember the preseason game uh, way back at uh, Acadia. You know, things were kind of going our way, and then all of a sudden Zimmerman went off in, in the second half. And so they're just a deep team, you know, and they, they do have a lot of weapons. Um, and they played with each other for a long time, so – they're all really comfortable in their roles and, and they kind of know what to expect. And that's just another reason why, why they're, they're so successful. So um, they're, they're a difficult team to game plan against. You have to kind of make your decisions as to, again, what you're, what you're going to defend or what you're going to really kind of key on. And then, um, you know, you really just have to kind of control or maintain, contain, you know, the rest of the guys on the team the best that you can 
So you've got that big game tomorrow night, and for fans of the Moncton Magic and of the NBL, that'll be in Halifax tomorrow night at 7 o'clock Atlantic time. Again, you can visit magic.ca to get the link for the live stream broadcast of that game out of Halifax. So, obviously, down the stretch, the games take on even more significance. In the standings right now, you are in second place behind Halifax. Uh, Halifax is going to have that first seed. But certainly right now, uh, the Moncton Magic uh, holding the second seed, and you guys do control your destiny. However, with St. John Riptide at 16 and 17, and with the Island Storm having won their last eight games in a row, they're now nipping at your heels at 18 and 16. And I saw a graphic sent out by the Moncton Magic actually uh, yesterday talking about magic numbers. Uh, to grab the number two seed, you have the magic number of any combination of magic and other team losses. For the Storm, it's any combination of your wins and their losses totaling four. Now, that's a whole bunch of numbers I threw out, but at the end of the day, how important is it for you guys to lock down that second seed, and how much is that now part of the conversation in terms of your game prep? Uh, it's very important for us to, to host in that first round. You know, I think we're I think we're 15 and four at home this season. Um, so, so we've been pretty pretty tough to beat. We're either 15 or four or 14 and five at home. So, um, you know, we understand that being able to host those first two games is uh, is pretty vital. You know, and it, it's absolutely um, our goal right now. It's our immediate goal. Um, we do talk about it. You know, we, we certainly talk about it. We we put a point of emphasis on it. You know, when it comes to these last three games, um, you know, you still focus on just the, the first game, you know, ahead of you, which is Halifax tomorrow. But, you know, you know, in the back of your mind, this is a, a package of three games and, and every single one of them matters. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, Destiny, for the most part, it, it is in our own hands where, you know, if you go 3-0, um, you finish the season with 24 wins you know, that would force the Storm to have to go 6-0 and in their final six games. And, you know, they play at London. They play at Halifax. Uh, they have Louis St. John. Uh, that's a pretty tall, tall order. Um, so, you know, we feel pretty comfortable that, that going 3-0, and you know, we're, we're probably uh, two seed. You know, going 2-1, and <clears throat> certainly, you know, the Storm definitely comes into play. Um you know, they are playing as well as anybody in the league, if not better than anybody in the league right now. So the likelihood of them going five and one and, and kind of tying us uh, with them owning the tiebreaker, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't put that out of the question. So uh, we definitely, uh, you know, trying to win all three of these games coming down the stretch. Well, the good news is you are in second place. Uh, the team's record of 21 and 16 means that regardless of what happens, the team will finish above 500, which I know has been a big topic of conversation with fans around Moncton and the previous franchise that was there. But again, I know that uh, you want to concentrate on tomorrow night and that game in Halifax and then kind of uh, let, the, let the chips fall where they may, I guess, uh, so to speak, from there. Um, so as we move on, Coach, you know, obviously you do want to secure that number to see which – is part and parcel of your playoff preparations. I know you want to finish out the regular season strong. With only three games left, what will you be doing now as a coaching staff to try and and change your mindset a little bit 
and start slowly but surely building this team for playoff preparedness? What are some things that you'll be doing as a coaching staff to do that? Well, I think just paying a, a little more attention to detail. Um, you know, I've over the last two days really tried to kind of turn up the intensity in, in practice um, <laughs> from a, a personal level, which will hopefully trickle over to, uh, to the guys. Um, you know, the atmosphere in the postseason is, is it really is truly different than, than in the regular season. So, you know, I think every, every time we step foot on the floor, whether it's a game day or, or in practice, you know, you, you want to try to, um, you know, kind of, kind of show that intensity and, and, and try to kind of imitate that intensity that you're going to see uh, come the playoffs and then get comfortable playing against that. Um, you know, I, obviously these three games really matter. You'd, you'd love to be able to have things locked up and, and kind of coast into the playoffs and know where you're at and, and rest some guys and um, really even start focusing on your, your playoff opponent. You know, cause I, I would imagine it's probably about a 98% chance that we end up playing the storm. Um but, you know, we can't do that. We've we got to focus on Halifax. So really all we can do is, is just try to, you know, show the intensity and, and, and again, try to imitate that, what, what it will see, what you'll see in the playoffs, and just try to prepare guys kind of mentally for that, um, you know, as we, we kind of wind down the regular season. Other than the usual, you know, bumps and bruises and other things that uh, pile up on players through the course of the regular season grind, overall, Besides that, how's the uh, the health of the team? Uh, you know, how's the roster looking top to bottom? Uh, it's, it's looking good. I mean, knock on wood, we, we've actually been uh, we've been pretty healthy this year. I mean, you know, um, and that's also attributed to to John and, and his staff at Rehab One. They've done a great job uh, this season. But you know, we're we're pretty pretty injury free. A couple guys that have that have had to get some treatment this week on just some some nagging stuff, but but nothing. And nothing um, that's going to keep anybody out of a game. So uh, fortunate in that sense. I could feel my dear departed mom's spirit hovering over me, Coach. Uh, when you said we've been relatively injury-free, I didn't even think about it. I reached over to my side and I knocked on wood. Not even kidding. Yeah, I'm in my car right now, so there's not a whole lot of wood to knock on. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that you did for me. I did for sure. Well, listen. We're excited about uh, getting down the stretch here. The last couple of regular season games, just one home game left, and it's on the 31st of March. So we'll be looking forward to putting a bow on the regular season at home and playoffs just ahead. So we'll we'll put all of the talk of the Moncton Magic to bed for now. Uh, but I know that a lot of times when we do these podcasts, Coach, I like to finish up and, and maybe go down a path non-basketball related. But being the time of year that it is, I know we've talked about March Madness before. But we've got to talk about where we are right now as we are heading into the Sweet 16. And and maybe just for uh, listeners, talk a little bit about the uh, Moncton Magic pool that's got going on and uh, where things stand with that right now. <laughs> yeah, we have a, a, a friendly friendly pool going on amongst, you know, some of our players and coaches and, and staff, you know, such as yourself and, and Dave Tingley and, and uh, you know, quite a few of our physiotherapist got in on the action and Kent Wallace, our director of game day ops. So, you know, it's just kind of a, a fun pool we're, we're doing. And, um, you know, I think a lot of, <laughs> with all the upsets in the first couple rounds, you know, some, some people have kind of crashed and burned early, but, um, yeah. you know, I, I think it's still competitive right now. And um, it, it certainly kind of makes it exciting. You know, Anthony Cox every day is, you know, asking me about the updates and, you know, and then what, what's going on with the pool. And, uh, 
so it's, it's fun. You know, you, you try to – everyone loves watching basketball, at least that, that kind of works for this organization. So everybody kind of has a, a vested interest, and they have even more of a vested interest when there's – a couple dollars on the line, so it's um, you know it's it's just been uh, it's been kind of a fun thing. Well, I'm still impressed after some of uh, you talk about crashing and burning. I think I uh, wept a few times when I saw some of my picks, but at least in the Moncton Magic pool, I'm I'm still uh, I'm still in the running there. I'm I'm still hanging in, Coach. You're in the mix, yeah. You're you're right there. I mean, you're uh, I think you're right there. Um, uh, I think John Gonzalez. Is still doing fairly well. I think my wife is actually doing pretty well in the pool still. So, you know, there, there's still some people out there that that can still get you know quite a few points. They still have some teams in the running, and uh, it's been a great tournament. It's been an incredible tournament. Um, I don't think I've been as excited watching a basketball game on television. I can't remember the last time I was excited as I was watching the, the UMBC upset over Virginia. Um, it was just, you know, it was just so much fun to watch. And um, sometimes I think, you know, with my job, it, it is a job. And granted, I still have a, a good time, you know, but, but a lot of times the NCAA tournament kind of allows you to, to just kind of enjoy basketball again, you know, where the winning and losing doesn't matter a whole lot and the, the, the stresses of game planning and, and film breakdown and all those things. So uh, I think that's a big reason why I enjoy the madness, you know, so much. Well, you were very humble not to mention that uh, in our friendly Moncton Magic pool, uh, you are in first place. <laughs> I, I I am, and I didn't mention it because I didn't want people to think that it was rigged, not a rigged event. I've had uh, I've had some some pretty good picks this year. Uh, I'm 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 doing all right. Although I did just lose, you know, one of my national finalists in, in Cincinnati, which was just gut-wrenching uh, to watch. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right in that pool. I'm doing pretty well in the uh, the UPEI Panthers uh, pool. I think I'm currently sitting sixth out of, like, 82 entries. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been an okay march for me so far. Well, uh, I'm still okay with my final four. Uh, Virginia, you mentioned UBC, UMBC. We'll circle back to them in a minute. Uh, but I still got Gonzaga. They were kind of my my dark horse, if you will, at number four, and then Villanova and Duke. But again, we'll see how it goes. But jumping back to UMBC, the Terriers, I'm sure fans of basketball and even casual fans would have been aware by now, for the most part, that it was the first time in the history of the one versus sixteen scenario in the NCAA Division One that a one lost to a sixteen. So it's now one thirty-five and one. But you and I were talking before the Cape Breton game on the weekend that there's kind of a neat degree of separation between you and UMBC. Maybe just uh, retell that for us, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. One, one of the first uh, one of the first players I, I ever kind of recruited and, and signed uh, at the pro level uh, was a, a player from UMBC. Uh, his name was, was Jay Green, and he was the, the starter. He was a four-year starter, starting point guard uh, for UMBC, and he actually, his senior year was back in 2008. That was uh, the last time UMBC had made it to the, the big dance where they actually, uh, they lost in the, in the first round. I forget the who now, but um, yeah. So, so one of my first signees ever uh, was a very good point guard who, who played for the, the Terriers. So, um, you know, that, and then also being from Vermont and UVM playing in the American East conference, which is the conference UMBC is from, you know, you, you certainly kind of felt like 
you know, you were, you were part of UMBC, right? Because you were from a, a home state that represented the American East. And I've been going to, to UVM games since I was a kid. And, and, you know, I've seen UMBC play multiple times. So I was a, I was a big time Terrier fan the other night in my living room. Um, and it was great. It was great thinking back, you know, thinking about Jay, uh, Jay Green, um, great player. And unfortunately, he suffered a really bad injury in training camp that year. So he ended up not making our final roster. Uh, he went on to become a coach, actually, at Ryder University. Um, but, yeah, kind of a cool uh, cool little tie to, to UMBC. Well, I know that uh, certainly their uh, social media, on Twitter in particular, was brilliant. They were so fun to be a part of. But maybe just uh, before we kind of wrap up here, Coach, I heard a discussion uh, in one of the pregame shows the other day, and they were talking about the tournament and, and UMBC in particular, but some other lower seeds defeating higher seeds. And I'll paraphrase it, but basically this analyst's uh, summation was, or argument, if you will, was that with the changing of the game, the evolution of the game, where it's kind of opened up a little more and it's become almost positionless basketball a lot of times where you hear that, you know, where almost anybody can play anywhere. He went into a lot more detail than that, but basically his statement was, don't be surprised over the coming years with the way the game is changing and and the evolution of the offenses in particular that you might see more of 14s beating threes and 15s beating twos and even 16s beating ones. Being a basketball guy, obviously like yourself, that pays so much attention, where do you kind of stand on that overall thought? Yeah, I, I kind of wish I, I heard, um, you know, this guy's take on it because from, from what you were telling me, you know, before our game and, and what you just said here, you know, initially I, I tend to tend to agree with him. Um, <clears throat> the, the game now, it, players are so much more skilled than, than they were, you know, 20 years ago and then players with size. And I, I think obviously the level of athleticism, you know, with all the strength training that goes on now and, and things of that nature – it's just increased so much, and it has changed the game. I think one of the most impressive teams that I've seen in the tournament so far, in my opinion, uh, is Texas A&M and even Florida State. And, and they just have these tremendous athletes, you know, that are all 6'5", 6'6", 6'7". And it just allows them, uh, you know, to, to get their hands on so many more basketballs and create so many more turnovers and and be that much better on, on the glass, which gives them more possessions. And I, I, I think that, you know, the lower seeds, and I think basketball as a whole, it continues to improve where you'll always have those five-star recruits that will go to Kentucky or Carolina, you know, but like the rest of the field has gotten better. And there are only so many scholarships, you know, that these schools can give out where all of a sudden a school like Texas A&M, that's traditionally a, a, a basketball school or, um, or even Florida State, for that matter, you know, they're, they're obviously getting their share of, of tremendous players and athletes. And, and, yes, the style of the game now, where it's more, you know, four, to if not five perimeter players, um, it, it has. The game has changed. And, and so, I, I, again, I would have loved to have heard the whole thing, but, but I, I tend to agree with, with what he's saying, that I do think you'll see more and more future upsets. Well, I know. I'll ask you this one real quick. And, um, I, after that game with when UMBC beat uh, Virginia, I, I sent out a Twitter poll, and, and it was just a quick question. What do you find more shocking, the fact that a 16 beat a 1 
the margin of victory, which was substantial, or are both equally shocking? What are your thoughts on that? I think the margin of victory is is more shocking. Um, I mean, they beat them by 20, right? <laughs> I mean, that that's that that is a beat down uh, when you're talking about the number one overall seed in this tournament. And you know, there really wasn't there wasn't much doubt. There, there really wasn't much doubt in, in almost that entire game. I, I thought UMBC had just outplayed them in all facets of the game, uh, from from transition scoring to they did a tremendous job on, on the glass, you know, being undersized. I thought they really dominated the, the rebounding game. And um, so I, I think the, the, the nature, I mean, I think so many times, and they showed the four or five other teams that have been extremely close to upsetting the number one seed. Like they showed highlights of those games and they were all close games, right? Like it was if a 16 seed was going to beat a number one, it was going to be on a buzzer beater or, or by a prayer and, you know, this team hung on for just long enough to give them a shot to win. That wasn't the case in this UMBC game. I mean, that was a, a, a dominant performance, you know, one team over another. So I was more shocked that they beat them by 20, you know, than, than that they won the game. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with you. Having, you know, they could have won it by a, a point on a buzzer beater. But, yeah, the margin of victory for me was the most shocking. All right, uh, round of 16 coming up. Uh, Loyola from Illinois, probably the biggest surprise of the tournament right now. Uh, maybe Syracuse, who had to win the play-in to get there. But from the Sweet 16, Coach, uh, what matchup are you looking forward to seeing the most? And if you can't recall them off the top of your head, I can give them to you real quick. Oh, boy. Um, well, Kentucky has Loyola, right? Uh, it's Okay, I'll, I'll go down them real quick. Kansas, Kentucky, Loyola, Nevada. Florida State, Gonzaga, Michigan, Texas A&M, Villanova, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Purdue, Kansas, Clemson, Syracuse, Duke. I think there's a couple of matchups that, that, that stick out. That, that first one, that, that that's not Kansas, Kentucky. Who, who's Kentucky playing? Uh, Kansas State, sorry. Oh, Kansas State. Okay, yeah, I, I think there's a couple of matchups. I think, um, obviously, the, the Syracuse-Duke matchup, you know, there's been a lot of talk over this whole battle of the zones where, where Duke has really become a 3-2 zone uh, type team here. And then Syracuse traditionally has always played that style. I think it would be rare to see two teams, you know, predominantly play zones. So I, I think that would be an interesting matchup. Um, I think it's Michigan-Texas Tech, right? Excuse me. I think that's going to be a, a very interesting game uh, as well. I think that will be a a great game. Um, and then I think, you know, again, I think it's just teams to watch. Scott, one more time, who's Florida State have? Uh, let's see. Florida State. Where Kansas, Florida right? State? Florida State has got, oh, they've got, this one makes me nervous because they've got Gonzaga, <laughs> which is my lowest seed, making it to the final four at a four seed. Florida State's a nine. Yeah, that 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 to me might be one of the best games of the tournament because I don't think, I think Gonzaga, you know, they played very poorly in, in their opening round game. And uh, I think they played better basketball in the second round. I think that's going to be a great game because Florida State, man, they, they, that's a tough group of kids. Like, they just, they wouldn't go away, um, you know, in their second round. And I think that's going to be a, a great game. But I, I still think Villanova is playing the best basketball out of anybody in the tournament who, who is my pick to win the whole thing. So I'm going to continue to ride with, 
with Villanova. I, I think uh, I think they're going to win two in uh, in three years. I, I really do. Wow. Well, it's it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Final thing for you, Coach, and I'll I'll ask you. And it's the first thing that pops into your head this year aside, so not counting this year. Uh, your most memorable final, uh, excuse me, March Madness moment. What pops to your oh, mind? Oh, no doubt. UVM 2003, UVM um, Syracuse, w- without a doubt. Uh, University of Vermont was a number 14 seed uh, playing Syracuse, who was a number three seed. And that was a Syracuse team that had Jerry McNamara and Hakeem Warwick. And funny enough, they had a guy who played for me, a kid named Louis Makrowski, uh from, from New York. And, um, and, of course, they're playing a, a catamount team that uh, had, a, had a couple star players, a, a kid named Taylor Coppenrath, who was a very good friend of mine growing up. He was actually from St. Johnsbury, Vermont. Uh, we played on the same AAU travel team. We played against each other in high school. Um, and he was a star. He was the American East Player of the Year, uh, about 6'9", 6'10", just a tremendous player. And then they had a very, very good point guard named T.J. Sorrentine, um, who I'm also you know, friends with now. He's a, a coach at, um, at uh, Brown University. But he was a great point guard at UVM. And, um, you know, that game went into overtime against Syracuse. And at the time, I was actually on spring break in college, and I was in Aruba. Um, and it was the only year that I ever went on, on spring break. So I think, you know, you make the most out of these nights on, on spring break, you, you, you're going out and, and having a great time with your buddies. Right. Um, well that night we, we grabbed a couple beverages and we stayed right in the, the hotel room and, uh, and we watched that game from start to finish. And, you know, UVM was up one with about 50 seconds left. I want to say maybe, maybe less in the game. And T.J. Sorrentine pulled up, you know, a, a pull-up three ball from – it had to have been 30 feet. Uh, and he just buried it. And, and the place – the game was taking place in Worcester, Massachusetts. And there was a lot of UVM fans there. And the place just went nuts. And the funny thing was, years later, you know, being friends with T.J. and Taylor and watching this game and <laughs> – the kid that the closest guy to him at the top of that two, three zone was Louis Makrowski, who I ended up coaching, you know, years later, he played for me, uh, my first year in the NBL Canada. And, and we've talked about that moment a lot, but that's just a moment I will never forget. And I actually, I think I tweeted that, uh, that clip, um, of, of TJ hitting that shot. And it was like the true definition of March madness. And, and you know, it was, it was friends of mine. It was people I knew, and, and uh, it was just a, a really, really cool moment. Well, it, that is one of many cool things about sports, but for <laughs> me, that's one of the coolest things is that when there's a team that you're passionate about and there's a big moment, you didn't even hesitate. You could recall every minute detail of that, <laughs> that game. That's pretty cool, Coach. Yeah, and the, the best thing about that play was, of course, UVM was up one, and, and of course, I think there was 40 to 50 seconds left, and and, uh, you know, Syracuse is just sitting in this zone, and they're just sitting there. And Sorrentine is just, you know, dribbling at the top of the key, almost kind of staring the zone down, just standing there, stationary, dribbling. And, and UVM at the time had a very animated head coach named Tom Brennan. And um, you, you saw Brennan start, you know, kind of waving at, well, what the heck are you doing? Go, go. You know, you've you got to make something happen here. And TJ actually kind of looked at him, 
kind of wave shrugged him off and just pulled up from 28 feet and, and buried this three. And it was just an incredible moment in, uh, in, in March madness, uh, history. Well, all I can say is what, a, I mean, it would be, it would have been cool enough to be watching that in your living room back home in the States, but to be with a bunch of buddies on spring break in Aruba, I think that's just kind yeah. of the whipped cream, the cherry and everything else on that. Well, I mean, we, we had a lot of good nights on that spring break, but there was no <laughs> night better than that one, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I will never forget it. We just sat in our, our hotel room and, and we just sat there and watched the whole game and, uh, really, really, uh, Really cool, and it's just a, a a great moment. If you haven't seen it, you should just YouTube TJ Sorrentine, and it will be the first clip that that pops up. And uh, pretty pretty tremendous uh, moment in in NCAA history. I'm going to do that for sure. And you know that there's going to be lots more cool moments from the Sweet 16 to the Elite Eight to the Final Four to the championship game. Well, Coach, you've got your own games to take care of, and I know you're off to Halifax tomorrow, so safe travels. And uh, we'll be watching tomorrow night via the Moncton Magic website. But good luck in Halifax tomorrow night, and we'll look forward to talking to you again next week on the Magic Time Podcast. Okay, that sounds great, Scott. Good luck to you in your your Sweet 16 picks. We'll we'll obviously be keeping tabs on how you're doing. Uh, There's no question about it. I look forward to that uh, standings email each morning. (laughs) All right, Scott. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Coach. Have a great one. Take care. That was Coach Joe Salerno of the Moncton Magic. He travels with the rest of the team up to Halifax. They'll be taking on their division rival, the Halifax Hurricanes, at Scotiabank Center tomorrow night at 7 p.m. And remember, fans, if you're not able to make it into Halifax to watch the game live at Scotiabank Center, you can visit MonctonMagic.ca and get the link for the live stream broadcast. Until next time, my friends, I'm Scott Squires. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, if you can't take part in sport, Be a good one anyway. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Magic Time Podcast. Proudly presented by Firm Foundation Media.